when I think about evangelization in this place, I think about you. Like, what is it that's fueling this outpouring um, that is keeps happening? Yeah, well, like I say, I think accountability is a big thing. Um, I grew up in a town where there was only one other Catholic person in my class practicing Catholic, and even that person wasn't, like, very consistent in their faith. And I remember going to DCAP, I was like, there's all these people in this one room. And O'Gorman, at O'Gorman, I was so jealous because there was this O'Gorman crew. And they all knew each other, and they all had each other, and they went to Bible studies together. And I was like, I don't have that. I didn't have that at home. Um, I had people who tried really hard to get something like that started. Um, Seth Silverberg, if you see this. Uh, I had a lot of people who worked really hard to try and get that started. And it just didn't quite take off in the way we really wanted it to. Uh, those people were still really formative in my faith, and I am very, like, blessed to have had them. Mm. But I wanted that really bad. And when I got here, funnily enough, a person that I had met at D-Camp just invited me to a bonfire. That's what it started as. And I kind of, like, walked around. I was like, this is kind of funky. It was also, like, COVID, so just very mm. confusing time for me. Um, and I remember, like, it, it, all it took was one invitation and then I made, I got curious and I came again and I came again. Then that person took me under their wing and said, I see you coming. I see you're pursuing of God. I see you wanting more. And I would like to take you under my wing and like have you be my disciple and help you like take the next step of your faith. But she also said I could say no. She's like, you can say no if you want. Like this isn't the only way to evangelize. It isn't the only way to have your faith. And there was a lot of freedom in that choice. There was no pressure like I had experienced before. And I desire to give that to other people because I think that's what God offers to us is, you know, we, we do have this free freedom of choice where we can give up things. Um, you know, we can make priorities. We have choices every day, um, but we have this freedom of choice and we have this autonomy that I wasn't really given to me, you know, before I came to college. Mm. I got to college and I had never missed mass in my life before I got to college, not once. I, I remember once I was sick with a stomach flu with my little brother and we were just, I mean, puking. It was awful. And my mom still drug us to daily mass the next day and to make up for it. And that, that was like the only time I can remember getting close, other than weather, but that was like an exemption the priest would cancel. Um, and then my first semester at school, I missed like seven in a row. And I was just like, man, like I wasn't happy and I was really questioning my faith. And I had a lot of family members that were going through some really honest and deep struggles with the faith. It was really hard for me to reconcile what I was experiencing here as good and what they were ex experiencing as poor and bad. And like, what, what's this disconnect? And I still don't have that all the way figured out, I'll be honest. But I do know that it came to a point where I was just so depressed and so alone here. My only happiness was going home. And I asked God, I was like, why did you bring me here? Because you gave me a sign. You had this person who came into my life and literally told me to go to school here. And now it sucks. It's like the worst. And I'm, I'm sad and lonely. And I don't have friends. And I had an experience with my roommate. And she was my, kind of my only friend. And 
something went south and we had kind of a fight and which was a misunderstanding. I now come to realize three years later was a misunderstanding. We've reconciled, but at the time I was really angry and really upset. And I was just walking through the muck the one day and I had been crying all night and I was pissed and my, my hair was yellow because I had gotten it botched somewhere at this random salon. It just felt like everything was crashing down. And there are those girls that I went to Bible study with and they were all sitting at the table I was like, I have nothing to lose. I have no other friends. I dropped my backpack and we sat there for 10 hours that day in the muck. Just literally sat there and talked. There were probably 10 of us just shoved into this booth in the muck. And we were eating tacos the whole day. We had a great time. And that, I, I would venture to guess that that probably saved my life. Because when it came to the next semester and I was struggling again, they were the ones who got me on an anxiety medication and told me I needed help. They were the ones who told me like, hey, these feelings of despair and helplessness, like that's not normal and it's constant for you. You should go and seek help. And mm -hmm. they were the ones who were able to be honest with me and frank with me about things like that. Um, and even though our group has kind of dispersed a little bit, we don't spend 10 hours a day in the muck anymore like we did our first semester. Um, Last year at the father's house, there were all these sophomore girls there who were kind of friends, kind of not. They weren't really sure if they were going to be like best friends yet or not. I remember looking at them. I was like, you were in the exact same spot that I was last year. And actually, you're probably in a better spot because you said yes to coming to this retreat. And last year, I said no. And I remember thinking, I was like, yep, the, this is where you are, Peter. Like, I'm going to plant my rock right here, you know, and upon this, right? Like... I really saw this um, childlike desire in them just to be comforted and grow closer. And I've always, always felt like a matronly person who feels kind of this need to protect those around them because I have really great parents who protected me, mm. worked really hard to protect me from, you know, certain things when I was in high school and have been really awesome about like things I needed to be honest with them about. And I, you know, hearing people who have parental struggles and stuff, I see that there's this like desire to have someone who will protect them and someone who they can go to and share with. And ultimately, you know, they'll share with me. And then at the end of all of that, we'll talk for two hours and I'll direct them to the Lord. And I'll say, great, you said all this to me. Now go say it to him and mm -hmm. go give it to him because I'm glad you, you know, if you wanted to vent, you wanted to get it out, that's great. But, um, being able to provide them that direction uh, is something that has really been a positive change in my life. Being a role model is accountability. You, you know, like you make decisions and people are looking up to you now. It's no longer, I'm making decisions in a vacuum. They don't affect anyone but me. Mm. Now, when I, I'm leading a Bible study or I'm leading girls in discipleship and I have to fess up with those decisions that I make and if I'm embarrassed to say them in front of them or I, you know, I'm unwilling to say them in front of them, that says something to me. So it's been good for me, too. You know, it's not just me leading them. They lead me in ways they don't even realize, too. But there's this cycle in the Newman that upperclassmen come and go. And I kind of realized last year I went through like three different phases of like, why did you bring me here? Why did you bring me here? Um, the first was when... I was just, I had no friends. I was so lonely. I was like, why did you bring me here? You gave me a sign to come here and I'm so alone. And then I got friends. It was awesome. 
And then the next year came around and I was still just not really doing well. Um, once again, I was really struggling. I felt very lonely. And I asked once again, why did you bring me here? And like, give me a reason to stay this time. And a week later, it was announced that Father Cowles would be the priest at this parish. And I have a family and personal history with Father Cowles. And it was just such a blessing. He's always been someone that I just have always looked up to and loved very much. I was like, okay, I'll stay. You know, like, I guess. Like, that, there could be no clearer sign than the priest who officiated my sister's wedding, who I held so dear, like, a week later being announced. It was like an answer to a deep prayer of mine. And then... When he was announced that he was going to be taken back to Our Lady of Guadalupe, I was like, really? This reason, the reason I stayed is now gone. And I went to prayer and my mom kind of looked at me and she was like, you realize you got more signs than anyone else really gets. She's like, there are people who pray for signs for their entire lives and get none. And she was like, how many more signs does he have to give you before you realize you're just meant to be there for one reason or another? And she was like, maybe you're someone else's reason to stay and encounter Christ. And I was like, oh, mom. <laughs> so I come back to school and it's been so worth it. You know, it's just those doubts and those reasons to leave or, you know, me begging God for a sign. There's this one verse that always sticks with me. And it's after Jesus has multiplied the loaves and the fishes and he's healed the sick and he's cured the blind and he's done all these things. And they're like, teacher, when are you going to give us a sign? And it's like, in my brain, I'm like, you just watched him multiply loaves and fishes. Like, what more does he have to do? And he, he kind of comes down on that. I can only imagine how frustrating that is for him, you know, like, are you kidding me? But then I think, oh man, you know, like we just had a relic exhibit here with stories of all the saints. And here I am asking please give me a sign to stay, you know, it's like, what more do I have to give you? Um, so humility is a big part of my relationship with Christ. Um, and if my dad were listening to this, he would say those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And every Sunday that reading comes up, my dad texts me, thought of you this Sunday, said, <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah. it's a journey. So uh, why don't we close by sharing with us uh, the instigation to the night of prayer and uh, what moved you to desire to do that, what it was you actually ended up doing, and what the fruit of that's been. Yeah. Um, so like the candlelit night, you're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, my honestly, I, I had like little bits and pieces of the Holy Spirit here and there. But there was one night, my freshman year in the spring during Easter, and me and my boyfriend had actually taken on a fast over um, Easter, like during the 40 days of Lent. We had taken on a fast together, which was kind of big for him because he's not Catholic and Lent and things like that, you know, it's just not something that he really observes in the same way that Catholics do. And so it meant a lot to me that he said yes in that way. And it was like a little way that God was romancing my heart, you know, like giving me this piece of my boyfriend that he hadn't yet. And we, at the end of these 40 days, I just, I've never felt, to this day, I've never felt more on fire for my faith than at the end of these 40 days. And I remember being so touched in the passion when he's praying in the garden before he is taken to, <clears throat> to be like scourged and stuff. And... Um, even he, Jesus Christ, even he says, Father, like, let this pass from my lips. This is too much, you know. Um, the Son of Man says, like, 
this is too much, but if it's your will, I'll do it. You know, but he still asks, like, in, in almost like this childlike way, like, let this pass from my lips. And that night, I always, ever since I've prayed over the hour, is what I call it, praying over the hour when he's in the garden of Gethsemane. So from 11 o'clock to midnight before Good Friday, I always pray over the hour. And I just prayed with those verses and I journaled. I was never really a journaler before this, but I journaled and I just, I couldn't stop writing. I wrote like five pages of just like outpouring. And I asked, I asked to take away a bit of his pain in this moment. I said, you knew that I would be here like 2000 years later, you knew I would be here praying with you. And even though I falter, even though I am just like your disciples who sleep, you know, fall asleep and they don't stay up and pray with you. I am here now. And like, I hope you found like a little tiny bit of peace in that. Um, that I'm not the only person here with you in this hour and that, um, anyway, so I asked to take away a little bit of his pain and then I was like, I gotta stop journaling and I closed my journal and I'm like praying and I asked the Holy Spirit, I was really excited to see the power of the Holy Spirit and I really believed in it, um, and I asked the Holy Spirit to descend upon me, this was probably like over an hour in at this point and I had been praying and praying for the Holy Spirit to descend upon me and... I had this amazing experience where the Holy Spirit just overtook my senses and my body and stretched out my arms really wide. And I felt like this piercing pain in my palms for like five seconds and then it went away. And because I was like, nope, nope, nope. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. I know I said I would take this from you, but I don't want to do that. I was really like, I was terrified. And I remember thinking how great was it that I could feel Christ in this room, that I could feel the Holy Spirit in this room. But even more terrifying was the devil was there too. And I could, I could sense the devil in that room. I was terrified. My heart was beating out of my chest. And I knew that with a powerful experience like this comes greater conviction that is necessary. Like the devil wanted so badly to take that away. And he was so mad that I had something that was so convicting to my faith. Mm -hmm. um, and all of this happened without, um, you know, without the present or without the Eucharist being exposed I wasn't in a chapel. I was in the quiet of my own room with no one around. There was no crazy bouncing music to make me experience a high and a low. Um, and so that's when I knew it was real. God knew how to present himself in a way that would really uh, impact me because I had doubts about the things I had experienced at retreats with the you know, crazy bouncing music and everyone around me is having everything going on. So am I just mimicking them? I had doubts about what had happened to me there. And in the silence of my bedroom at 11 o'clock at night after an hour of prayer was when he decided to reveal himself to me. And what I really wanted was a taste of that for my girls. And I wanted them to realize, you know, we wanted to do a praise and worship night. Before this, can you uh, explain who your girls are? Yes. Just so that, yep. uh... um, I lead a Bible study that has anywhere from 20 <clears throat> to 13 fresh or sophomores on any given night. Um, some of them come from like cradle Catholic families, if you will. Some of them come from families that, you know, really haven't practiced their faith up until this point. So, um, you know, I have a wide range of people in my Bible study and me and my co-lead decided that we wanted to do a sort of praise and worship night, but, um, you know, we wanted to go all out, but honestly, in the end, it was almost more beautiful that certain things didn't work out. Uh, like the Eucharist wasn't exposed and I was bummed, but then I remembered, I was like, you know, God, it, it's not holding God back. Of course, you know, visiting the Blessed Sacrament and Eucharistic exposition is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. 
but it was, you know, like, God still revealed himself, and he was still there, you know, he was just in a gold box, you know, he was still there, <laughs> um, and I, I wanted to, you know, I don't know what any of them experienced that night, but I didn't want them to know that it is possible, and that an hour of prayer for a lot of them is probably a lot. An hour of prayer, you know, maybe maybe they're not even managing 5, 10, 15 minutes a day. I know I wasn't probably. So I knew it would be intimidating to do an hour of prayer. But I think committing and telling God, I will be here for an hour. And sometimes it's in that last minute of prayer, you know, that God will reveal himself to you. If you leave five minutes early, you might miss it. And anyways, so that was just one thing we did. But we lit candles, so it was very homey and... The candles twinkled all night. It was just the most beautiful thing. Um, yeah, and there was just this intimacy in the dark. And, um, you know, I think it was like raining that night or something, which is always great when it's raining in the chapel. It just sounds so beautiful on the roof. And we had a good time. And I had a lot of them come up and say, like, oh, that was just like the best night of prayer I've had in a mm -hmm. long time. And I don't know what it is about a dark chapel with candles, but, you know being able to create an environment they associate with reverence and tradition and Jesus is, if that's what it takes, that's something I'm happy to do. Yeah. Uh, I think about the scripture passage, Lord, teach us to pray. Mm -hmm. You, uh, you taught them to pray. Uh, and I think of, uh, the circumstances of our diocesan planning and just the, the church in just general in a lot of places is, is, um, is beginning to look a little different and what resources we have available and yeah. who's able to do them. And uh, uh, I remember in seminary, I was in seminary 10 years ago, and my one of my professors was talking about the ages of the church, that the beginning was the apostolic age, and then you have the age of the fathers, which is the church fathers like St. Augustine and uh, uh, Irenaeus of Lyon, and you have just some, and then you have the age of, um, the religious, I think it was, where you get like the, the Franciscans and the Dominicans and the Benedictines was the beginning of it. So you get St. Benedict and you get the monasteries. Uh, and then you have the age of the secular priest, which is just your typical diocesan priest. Uh, or there was the age of the bishops, the age of the priest. And he said, you know, we're in the age of the laity. And um, the Holy Father at the time, St. John Paul II, had... Uh, called for this new evangelization that everyone is called the second Vatican council is reminding everyone is called by dignity of their baptism to bring this good news to whoever it is that they meet um and he just reminded us he's like uh you do understand that i'm a lay married man and i'm teaching <laughs> men that will be priests this would have never happened before you know yeah. or in the age of the laity half the faculty of a seminary uh, are not priests. Um, and so I just think about that now where we're at and the bishop is really desirous that our parishes recognize the dignity, everybody recognize the dignity they have to bring this good news to another. Yeah. Uh, but you can't bring something you don't have, number yeah. one. And so this is the dynamic. But then also just to see, like, my great desire as the chaplain is that all of these young people might know him. Um, and I'm just amazed to see like, oh, and I'm not the one, you know, so here I am teaching RCIA today, tonight, uh, to these nine students that are making this journey. And yet there's a room that's like, 
applauding and all this going on of all of you guys giving testimony yeah. like the the place where the most life and the most outpouring of the holy spirit is isn't the room the priest is yeah. <laughs> uh it's the room where there are these you know it's like this uh, upper room it's this place this oasis of people who are like hey he's reached me this way yeah. um and so i just am really grateful for the witness that you have been and really what you are veronica for um these young girls like um and people will say uh, you know, oh, the Newman Center or whatever, or in the future, but they'll say you, I mean, it's you, it's, it's in relationship with a person that a structure is given meaning. It's relationship with a life that a building needs to be lived in. Um, and, and, uh, this is the gift of the church. There is a beautiful structure. The church is a structure that we have such gratitude that we have this ship we can sail on seas, whether it's calm or stormy. Um, but if you don't have meaningful relationship within that ship, yeah. it's like, get me uh, overboard. Yeah, I like what you said about like the life here as well as I think like my freshman year with COVID and stuff, I didn't really necessarily get that. Um, it was just like a really tumultuous time, both politically, but also socially. It was just like, you know, there was a lot of pressure uh, for Christians and Catholics about where do you stand? What do you believe? Why do you believe it? And I think everyone was asked to have an opinion and so when I got here, I was kind of like confused and not understanding what I believed. And I wasn't sure if I had a place. And it was people who just kept inviting me back and saying like, you know, this is just a tough time. It's just a rough spot. And when I did experience that life here, when I did have Bible studies that went half an hour long, you know, because we just couldn't stop talking to each other. We were just so excited to share ourselves with one another. You know, every single one of the girls in my Bible study said without fail, you know, I didn't really have Catholic friends growing up. And I remember always hearing, you know, you'll find your real friends in college. And I was like, sure. And then I got here and I had no friends. And I was like, yeah, baloney. I go to school in the art building and these people like are crazy. Some of them, I think. <laughs> My first day at art school, I walked into a new drawing class on accident because I was half an hour early to my class. I opened the door and there is a naked person. And I was like, <laughs> like close the door and I just like it was a total culture shock that I was not prepared for and I can all, I, I wouldn't be here I wouldn't be at the University of South Dakota without the Newman anymore I would have transferred back to Mitchell or something because my boyfriend and my mom are there it's two hours closer to my other family I would have went back to Mitchell I guarantee it but there was it's honestly this place that kept me here it wasn't I have great professors, you know, but I see them three hours in the week, maybe, you know, but it's being able, last night I was here till two o'clock in the morning and there are nights that I, I remember days when I was here till two and three o'clock in the morning with Father Cowles and we just talked and talked and talked and finally you'd look at his phone and you'd be like, I'm sorry, but I have to go. And, you know, that's just something I've never experienced before was this like, you said it, it's life. It really is. You know, before I felt like I was living, but it, it wasn't like a vicarious thrilling, you know, it was a very like quiet and routine and just boring and mundane living. Mm. Um, and you know, like it's not perfect. I don't want to oversell it and be like, yeah, it's awesome all the time. You know, there's tough times, but, um, God asks us to go through those tough times and unite our sacrifices with Christ on the cross and it will never be perfect, you know? And that's something that I've had to accept because the good times definitely outweigh the bad. And 
So that's why instead of asking for a sign to stay anymore, I just say you gave me the sign and I need to put up with the good time or put up with the bad times in order to enjoy the good. And my nephew is coming to school here and probably coming to school here next year. And he was just here for his tour yesterday and we were driving around and his family doesn't practice Catholicism anymore, but we drove by the Newman and I said, you know, I was like, everyone comes. I was like, we've got people, you know, I was talking about how we have the international students that just play ping pong for hours. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, you don't, I mean, you don't have to be expected to fit a certain identity or, you know, th that's what this place is. I was like, it's a place close to campus with a big TV and a library and lots of little rooms and hidey holes if you need to study outside of the campus. And I was like, a lot of people find a home here, mm -hmm. no matter what. So um, it was kind of interesting to be able to say that to him of all people because mm -hmm. he is someone who I think just like is not necessarily struggling with his faith but is in that teenager age where he's unsure of what he believes and social media doesn't help and mm -hmm. it's confusing it's an overload so you know and he's just one of a thousand students that are going to be funneling in next year and like how can we reach them yeah and be able to like open the doors to them well, I am pretty sure you'll be here, and I'm pretty sure those 20 girls uh, yep. and everybody else that helps make <laughs> this place a place of life. Um, I just changed my little bio on my social media. I can't quite remember it, but it's something like, uh, life is worth living, but only worth living if Jesus is there, yep. or something like that. You know, And yeah. it's really uh, the beautiful thing where, at the heart of it, we know his heart. And because of that, it creates spaces yep. further out where others that maybe don't know his heart begin to experience a beating of their life in a way or a beating of their own heart, the rhythm of their life that they say, this makes me more alive just to be here. Yep. And they might not know the flame of the center yet, yeah. but that's for God to draw them little by little, sign by sign, yep. people by people. Yep. Um, but uh, what a gift it is that the signs were given. Yeah. And what a gift it is that we came to a place where we could just say, okay, now I'll just give away. Now I'll just, yep. you know. Outpouring. Yeah. Well. And I will receive now from what I give. Um, but I think it's important, you know, those, those big graces do something important to us. And they help us get to that place to say, oh, okay. And then there's a certain point that he's like, okay, I went to Calvary. <laughs> so like, like, uh, buck up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Buck up. So, well, very good, Veronica. Thanks so much. Should we say Thank a you. prayer? What, yeah. uh, do you have a particular prayer you prefer? I, just... I like the St. Michael prayer. Great. Your Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and the snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate the invitation to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. Really, thank you for... I mean, it's really... Uh...